2: Hello and welcome to the Runners World podcast with me and only me, Ben Hobson. I am flying solo today, but I do have some interesting news to update you on. Firstly, after today's episode, there will be a very brief festive hiatus in the podcast. As Rick and I attempt to PB mince pie eating, I will definitely win. Uh, Do not worry, though, as we'll be back in the first week of January. So something to look forward to in 2021. Onto something completely different, and how would you like to become a running mayor? What am I on about? Well, regular listeners will know that we have an active travel campaign, which we launched alongside Active Things, and it's called Run Some, which is uh, an alliance of over maybe 30 businesses and brands to give... Runners, everyday runners, the running sector, the widening running community area, uh, and everyone else in between A voice in how we shape the, the world around us and to place running alongside walking and cycling When it comes to active travel, infrastructure, all those important conversations um, There's a whole podcast on this, so I'll add a link in the description to that if you want to listen to it And you should But anyway, um, running mares, we're looking for doers, we're looking for change makers um, who join the campaign and increase the visibility and the possibility of running everyday journeys uh, to sort of reduce traffic, uh, utilise running as a means of doing things rather than just exercise, um, and there to help make those change in local areas, identify barriers and share solutions amongst each other, um, and it would be just vital in championing the cause, basically. Uh, and if that sounds like something you would like to do, or definitely someone you know who would like to do it, then head over to runsum.org. Uh, there'll be more details on how to become a running mayor uh, and how you can be uh, integral to changing the landscape of running, or maybe just the landscape of your local town to allow more running. But, but important stuff. So we're, we're looking to sort of get these running mayors involved. Um, it's a big deal. We want to make it a big deal because we want running to feature way more in conversations around active travel. Um, I'm going to nominate Rick to be a running mayor. He doesn't know that, but he's not here. So I congratulations, Rick. Um, that's that. I think it's time to speak to our guest of the week. Guest of the week. My um, guest this week on the Runners World podcast is Gareth Cole. Gareth is the co founder of Coach London and has 30 years' experience. <laughs> it sounds like a lot when you say it like that, then. In the world of, well, just generally like coaching people.
0: Yeah, all levels, really. Um, everything. Anybody who needs a hand, I'm, I'm here to help.
2: Um, so, a bit of background on yourself those 30 years, what, have you, what did you spend yourself, what did
0: you, how, did you spend, how did you spend your time? <laughs> Well, a lot of learning and continuous learning still. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm still scratching the surface of us homo sapiens. We're just very complex creatures and there's a lot to understand and know. But um, the span of 30 years has been a lot of sport in my early years. Um, I played competitive football and professional football for a, for a short time mm. um, to my late teens Um, and just didn't really enjoy that they got to a point where it's just becoming too serious for me personally yeah And, and again the coaches that I had with me um really kind of worked with me against my kind of thought process and what I wanted to do which was just have fun and play but there was a lot of strategy and a lot of things prior to games so that kind of moved me away from football but I really still enjoyed coaching so I I was teaching kids to swim when I was 17, wow, Okay. Um, and I don't know if you know about the, the youth training scheme, the YTS scheme, yeah, yeah. they were in the late 80s, so I went on to that as well for a year, and that was amazing, that was an amazing vocational government scheme really where you would just get access to different types of sports and different coaching, so I became a qualified trampoline coach, Amazing. Um, still am now, <laughs> uh, I'm still a qualified squash coach, um, I'm a basketball coach um, and these are just the, the first rungs of the ladder really but um, for me it was all about communicating with the team with the individual to try and get them from A to B as efficiently as possible and that hasn't changed, that's yeah. still the same really it's, um, it's just the more that you kind of know um, the more you realise you don't know and then you've just got more and more work to do really to try and make that process as efficient as possible yeah. which is just my ultimate goal really so, all,
2: so that that uh, the bio, we're talking about like biomechanical efficiency and people yeah. and people moving correctly and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. So that's the physiological side of things. So with the biomechanics of it, obviously the anatomy, yeah. which will take a lifetime to learn. Anatomy. I'm still le- learning anatomy now, thirty years on. Yeah. Um, you get into the brain, and it's so again. So there's the physiology side of it. There's a the psychological side of it, yeah. which is understanding a person's emotions, beliefs their key drivers, why they're doing this thing in the first place. Need to know it as a coach to really get the best out of them. And then there's the environment, sort of the playing field or the boardroom or whatever it is they need to perform. Yeah. Need to understand that. Um, and then find the most efficient way possible to get that person to where they need to be. And take all those things into account as well. Yeah. So there's it's a really integrated approach. And that's what we use at coach really, just getting to really understand by just listening a lot of listening yeah. and a lot of looking and then we start making some decisions based between you and the clients together it's it's a conversation it's not just do this and do that yeah yeah so i mean i've worked with you for a few years now actually I mean, yeah yeah i've seen you move a few times ben <laughs> i have yeah um, <laughs> and the
2: reason why i wanted to get you on today to talk through stuff is because we've talked previously about the gate cycle within running and, and sort yes. of what that is, why it's always referenced so heavily whenever people are either beginning to run or when they're trying to improve or change something is always sort of relates back to the idea of the gate cycle. And I thought it would be good to just have a bit of an explainer of what that what the gate cycle is, because it is thrown around a fair bit. People know people know probably terminology associated with it they know about pronation and they'll know about supination and they'll yeah. know about their, why they need to engage a glute or why, okay. why they engage might engage the glutes yes. why they might need to do something else <laughs> but it's sort of a two-fold thing i think we need to discuss what the gait cycle is and then
0: also movement patterns and how that's an incredibly mm-hmm. individual thing it really is yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 the gait cycle is is, is always been uh, kind of in the forefront of both the medical yeah and the performance side of things is probably one of the best ways to assess how a human being moves. You get to see every joint moving, um, you get to see it in motion, so there's locomotion, it's reciprocal, you see all, and to a trained eye, there's somebody you can really see and just so that you know, so when you're assessing movement, you don't look at muscles and things, you just look at joints, you look got bones in space, mm. that's what you're looking at really. And you're looking at the foot, the ankle, the hip, the knee, the pelvis, the spine, the shoulder, and how they're working together. Um, You're also looking at speeds and tempos. So when it comes to gait, that tends to be the one movement that gives you the much information back. Mm. So that's why it's an assessment. It's also a tool as well for performance. If you get into running gait and look to assess it and potentially change it through skill acquisition and cues and training and A lot of deep thinking regarding that as well so it does a lot for just a simple movement really and it's also intrinsic to us evolutionary i mean you know darwin wasn't wrong you know we became bipedal and this is what we've become really but i'm sure you do the same thing ben i'm sure you're walking around um with the family and things and you're just looking at people move yeah it's just it's just in us to see people i can't stop looking at people moving and there's just i've never seen two people move the same you can always see a runner who sees
2: another runner, yes, because the the glance is not just like a casual look there's someone running it's an assessment it is <laughs> there's it always is. that look of just like it's like oh what are you oh,
0: doing there? what's going on interesting <laughs> drive there he's got with the arms not moving his arms and, yeah um, the arms are quite a strange one at times yeah, aren't they yeah, yeah. yeah. what do you do with them yeah <laughs> in terms of the gait cycle and
2: what it, what what constitutes a gait cycle if it was from standing still say is it just is it
0: one complete yeah it's a complete cycle really of if you like, so initial contact. And I think it'd probably be, it'd be good to simplify this because you can really get into the gait cycle as an analysis tool uh, and really get into the, the separate phases. There's about eight or nine phases to a gait cycle. Um, but you assess it from initial contact. So when the first person stays on the right leg, they initially contact the floor with the heel all the way through the toe off and then the same on the contralateral side. And then back to the right-hand side again would be com- a complete... Gait cycle. So you're looking at the landing phase and you're looking at the propulsive phase of both legs. And once you've covered those, that will be considered a gait cycle. And you'd normally, in assessments, have them either walking up and down, you'd either have them, which is actually a really good thing to do rather than on a treadmill. It's good to do both. Just simply because the propulsion phase, obviously, when walking on the floor, is a lot different than the floor being just dragging that foot back into hip extension on a treadmill. So it's very different. And um, people haven't been on treadmills before either. So you just want to get them in their natural environment. And I tend to just have a chat with them and they don't even know they're being assessed. It's right. the best way. Yeah. And you can really see what's going on and what's not. You can see an awful lot as well when you say, "I'll oh, just turn around and come back. Them turning around gives you a load as well what's going on. Right. So you're kind of just having a chat with them and they're just walking up and down. But there's all this really rich, relevant information coming back to you. So um, I think that's kind of... Once you understand gait and you just see it, and then you can assess it, and you can really deep down into a hole, really, with the whole thing. Um, But there's also the performance side of it as well, where you can really look at where the force is going, what's going on. There's terminology like base of support and centre of mass and centre of pressure on the foot, and understanding where these bones are in space and where the forces and the vectors are going, and how efficient that whole system is, because it is one big system moving at time. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, a really in, it's something that takes a time to master as, a, as an assessor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm still scratching the surface, I feel, as well. But, um, yeah, you gather a lot of information from it, just watching people walk. Whenever people talk about running, particularly in the gait
2: cycle, there's also a lot of mention about muscles. So when you say that the assessment is purely about bones and space... Yes. That's quite interesting, because... I think a lot of people would think like, oh, when I'm running, they're assessing how much I'm driving with my quad, how much I'm mm.
0: lifting my trail, my trail, what's my trail leg doing? Exactly, my, yeah, exactly, right. yeah. And, uh, but you can't see muscles activating. Um, you can only see bones. And a muscle crosses a bone or articulates a bone. So once that muscle, once that bone moves, say your hip goes into extensions so of the femur, goes behind you on the swing phase, mm. um, or just on toe off, then you know the hip extensors are, are doing something so the bone dictates really and then the muscle reacts so once you've got that down that system then you can kind of really see what's happening and it's again it's very different for different people mm. they can do the same movement but have a different muscular ch- strategy in a way to actually complete the task so it's um, always better to look at the skeletal I mean, system
2: for sure and on that individual movement side of things because we've talked about this before um it's the gait cycle, and there's never a prescribed, this is how you should run, this is the perfect gait cycle, right? This is the movement of an individual. is probably correct for them, but there's just
0: refinements that can be done. That's right, there is. From the performance side, definitely there's refinements to be done. But there's also, if you see any pathologies within movement as well, it's a great time to see. They'll highlight within the gait cycle. You'll see a compensation. Mm. And there's a million different not a million, that's an exaggeration, but there's an awful lot of compensations um, within the gait cycle. That um, There's terminologies like Trendelenburg gait and things like this, where you find that the pelvis and there's a lot of hip internal rotation and abduction and this sort of thing going on, um, which will be highlighted in gait as well. But it's very individualised.
2: So if the gait uh, is kind of looking at the bones and, and their patterns, is that how it can be used as an injury indicator is that sort of does that tie in more with sort of like structural deficiency is that more where it rather than muscular sort of
0: yeah it it does yeah i think once you can see what the skeletal system is doing or not doing Mm. you can then start to understand or localize what the musculature may be doing or not doing off the back of that so, um, for, let's get, let's get an example here really. So when you, you'll see this, when you see people walking, um, and just about, just before they take their toe off the floor to swing it forward, you may see them twisting or externally rotating. So it twists out like, sort of laterally away from the body. Mm. Now that's external rotation of the hip and it's, uh, but people say, well, that's obviously something to do with the glutes.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: But not necessarily. You see that happening first, and that potentially could be the big toe or the hacks, which is also called not being able to flex and they need to keep their foot on the floor for longer, so they'll rotate. So it's actually quite an efficient strategy to do that. Mm. But seeing that happen, you're straight away thinking, right, that's a compensation of some description. Let's have a look at the joints surrounding that movement, which would be the hip Mm. and would be the great toe. Um, And then we can look at the musculature behind that then, really, but it's always that way around. And it it should be really regarding that. Mm. Yeah, and again, you have to take into account scale acquisition as well. there's a brain driving all these movements and they've got a perception of what they should be doing. A lot of the times, if you just cue them not to do it, they have the capacity to do that. So it's just a habit forming movement that they've just done for a long time. Do you change it is another question actually, because they've been so used and adapted to that movement. If the recreational athlete is just doing it for fun and they're injury free and pain free, then how much do we really want to tinker with it so again it goes back to the who
2: yeah yeah because obviously that individual could be functioning just fine but they yes. have a compensation
0: which clinically yes is viewed as a, yes an, an issue exactly right. Oh, right yeah idealistically within this kind of you know this beautiful movement patterns that we all have it's, it's viewed as something which isn't the norm but i've never seen a lot of norms to be honest ben i've seen a lot of runners coming in who You think they're in pain from the eyebrows down and they're just beautiful they start moving and they're incredible and i see the opposite i see athletic people coming in and you can hear them landing from about 50 feet away Mm. you know so it's again no preconceived ideas let's have a look at it and go from there yeah um what i found
2: interesting when you were just talking about the gait cycle especially then was that you referenced a heel strike
0: when the foot lands now in walking in walking yes right. yes, yes. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a very controversial subject it's not controversial but it gets covered an awful lot yeah, isn't it? it what's your thoughts on that on heel striking no. in running <laughs> my view is based purely
2: on the things that i've read i mean if someone heel strikes and they're injury free then all the pattern and also if you're if you watch people run at even the elites by by mile 25 if they're not heel striking... <laughs> they they're not sh- far off, right? Yeah. 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 Are, I mean, the only thing I know in my very basic understanding of it is that it's all about centre of mass, right? Mm. And base of support. And base of support, and right. And centre of
0: pressure within that base of support. So, so if your heel striking... That's the important part, right?
2: Really. Yeah, and you tell me that this is right or wrong. But if you're basically heel striking, but your foot is touching down in front of you, then the, 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 the force is going down the leg... Or obviously not. It's a braking rather than a propulsion forward, and that's where heel striking has its issue.
0: Yes, that's definitely, and that's definitely an element, and right. and you can kind of see that, can't you? I mean, if, if you're landing in front of your center of mass, yeah. um, then like you said, there are, there could potentially be some sort of braking mechanism going on there, mm. and the quadriceps have to really decelerate knee flexion otherwise you know and so there's a lot so it's not as efficient and economical mm. from an energy expenditure point of view um, but again on the moment of impact depending on how fast you're going you could be pivoting over that foot really quickly yeah. so again you can get away with it so there's a lot of potential overstriding from the fronts but i you kind of hit the nail on the head it's probably more to do with where the foot is in regards to your center of mass um rather than on what part of the foot is being touch to the floor first, really. And so things like ground contact time come into play then as well,
2: because if you say, if you're pivoting across the foot quickly, then there's less, like nothing's
0: under duress for a long period of time. Whereas if you're, Ploughing in. Ploughing yes. into the floor. If you're hammering down into the floor, then... That's... And the other thing then as well, then the foot can potentially slap down. Mm. So again, the anterior, to be honest, which is a dorsiflexor, is going to try and slow that foot down. So again, more energy is being taken away from you. So we call this kind of power leaking or inefficiencies of movement, really, where you need every little ounce of mitochondria and everything within you to try and get you from A to B yeah. and you're kind of making it hard for yourself by using these movements over time tens of thousands of reps which are just taking it from your store really so um, that's where the economy and the efficiency come in really but as for as for the elites um, there's a few other things that happen when a, when a heel strikes on the floor first um, the one thing being, as you said, you mentioned briefly, is it stays on the ground for longer. So when it's when a, when the foot stays on the ground for longer, it will pronate and supinate, which means it just rolls in and rolls out, and you propel off. That's a longer time than if somebody lands on their midfoot, on mid to forefoot really. So time on the floor means more deceleration, more time then to push off against gravity. Again, it's a lot more energy sapping, really, than mm. just a light tap on the forefoot. And then as well, also, on top of that, you have to take into account that stretch-shortening cycle of the soleus and the Achilles tendon and that stored energy, which tends to get lost or dissipated if you heel strike and keep your foot on the ground for a long time. Mm. You know, we're talking milliseconds, really, to yeah. to actually get that system and mechanism working really well. I think,
2: this, and also, we should probably flip flip it the other way around that just because you midfoot strike that doesn't equate that you're running efficiently
0: oh god nowhere near no 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 i i i would say some of the loudest runners i've ever heard really and noise and i go back to noise because i say a lot to my runners really that you've got your headphones on on your way and you're pretty much if you're a kind of a seasoned runner you're pretty unaware really because you're just doing it mm. but every now and again just take the headphones off and have a listen to yourself and on different terrains, important as well, and different gradients, and just see how your body's reacting and how your relationship with gravity is at that moment in time because, you know, you may find yourself just really slipping away and not being efficient at all, and the the, the louder that noise, just think of that as force. And it doesn't dissipate, it goes everywhere, it goes somewhere, Mm. and that'll tend to be up your body. So being aware of it is a really good thing.
2: We're talking about gait cycle, and we're describing a lot of these things, but are there any takeaways or cues that people can use from, you know, what we're trying to explain
0: here, like just, yeah. Some, uh, some takeaway messages that are pragmatic. You can use. Yeah. 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 And there is, there, there, there are a lot really there's especially if you're starting to run that I would just walk and run, you know, don't think you just got to start and just I'm running now, just take your time and build up that volume over time and enjoy it Mm. And when you are running, be aware of it. Just, you know, yes, zone out, but just for five or ten seconds, just be aware of how you're landing, how it feels, if you're feel heavy. Um, is that an awful lot of, we call it sort of vertical displacement and we get into vectors and things, but is the you know, is the, is the horizon dropping up and down really high and low? I mean, is that, is that too much, you know, vertical force? We so just want to be able to kind of flow over the floor a bit more. So all of these things are really awareness if you like mm. I talk to a lot of the elite runners about what they think about when they run and obviously they got to a point now where they're, they're kind of unconsciously competent you know they can kind of just get straight into that perfect biomechanics and go mm. um, but on the big meet some of them get nervous um, and ideally I mean the winners always are the most relaxed and the ones enjoying themselves most of the time, especially the longer you go, and the, the ultras and things like that, the ones who are like singing songs in their heads and things, and, yeah. and just thinking about what am I going to have for dinner this evening, they're, they're the ones who tend to, um, to perform a lot better. How does anyone who's unconsciously running kind of just do a safety check? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I, I wouldn't want to take away the joy of running and those beautiful hormones that are running around your body and making you feel fantastic mm. when you're doing it. But I think there's a longevity to it as well. And I think just checking from time to time, going out with another runner is a good thing as well. Going out in pairs and just asking them to just say, oh, look at me for just five minutes, you know, just run behind me. Just let me know what you think. They may not be um, trained to do such a thing, but it's just more feedback, uh, and I think every single run you go on, you should definitely just have a minute, at least one minute, and this is what I tell my guys as well, and girls, to run in a way how you would perfectly like to run. Yeah. So, and it's, it's nothing more than that. And you may find yourself thinking, well, what does perfect mean to me? Uh, and it could be the speed in which you want to run, or how light you're running, or a, a lengthened stride length, or a faster cadence. And that variability is also going to really stand you in good stead as well, and because the more different ways in which you can stress yourself, yeah. you know, the reduction in risk of injury is huge then. I was saying to you the other day, actually, that, um,
2: about being upright. And how you, you consider yourself to run tall is always like that the advice that you should always be running tall and you consider like, oh, I'm running tall and then you might go past a window and you <laughs> see that you're like quite clearly like bent at the hip <laughs> and, like, and then you realise actually that you kind of you're definitely you're slowed yeah. down and all this sort of you
0: stuff. You flexed from the hip and you're leaning forward into it and that sort exactly. of thing, yeah. yeah. It's sort of just that, that moment of just oh, snapping yourself back up. And yeah, home. exactly. And that is literally, it's a second of awareness, isn't it? And it's just a, it's just a self-check for a second. And then once you're in it, you think, "All right, that's my reminder." And having two or three cues is—I I, I wouldn't give a runner any more than two, three cues maximum, mm. and they'd only probably use one cue per run. Uh, and it would just to be enjoy yourself. Here's your cue, go out, and throughout the run, uh, just remind yourself of that one cue. It could be stay tall. It could be land light. It could be try not to bob up. down, keep the horizon sort of level, if you like, mm. and that tends to be a lot stickier with us really and uh, and once they've got that then again it becomes an unconscious competence and we can move on to something else but uh yeah just having that little cue in your head just before you go out it doesn't it won't affect the enjoyable how, enjoy how enjoyable your run is mm. but it will definitely at least keep you sort of aware of of your actions and your emotions when you're moving as you say like
2: you can sometimes overload your brain when you're running by trying to correct everything
0: at once that's the worst place you need to be in yeah, yeah. and i work with quite a few <clears throat> slightly i wouldn't call them neurotic that's not the word Ben, mm. but um, they're very self-assessed um self-assessed people and they they tend to be worriers and they're always kind of looking at what the next best thing is and the good thing is. And, and they, to try and get them out of that and to get them to start feeling themselves and understanding that you're in a good, warm, safe place and you can perform and you have all this ability mm. and just go out and enjoy. Uh, and they just, their performance changes overnight. Yeah. You yeah, just want to try and, again, you want to try and externalize your thought process while you're running. For sure. yeah. Yeah. We could probably
2: speak about this for hours uh, and um, you, you will be coming back on so that's great because yeah. so we can uh, we can cover off all different other stuff but um, Gareth thanks so much for a, a brief insight into the gate cycle, what it means and how runners
0: should and shouldn't use it. <laughs> it's been a pleasure Ben, thank you.
2: So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast and a big thanks to our guest Gareth Cole and to you of course for listening. To subscribe to Runners World magazine today and get three issues for only five pounds, just visit hurstmagazines.co.uk slash Runners World podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. The Runners World podcast is available on Acast, iTunes, and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe and see you again next year.
1: Merry Christmas. Planning for your next trip?